morning, guys. Good to see you. I see a lot of visitors. I want to say welcome. Uh, it's really good to have you here. I see a lot of my friends who are here for the first time. That's good. Um, so, is this ready to go? All right. So we've got some work to do. We missed one another last week. We should have been here, shouldn't we? It's too bad. So don't be too disappointed. Okay, we're going to play a little bit of catch up today. And, uh, and, and we're getting right back into it. So everybody turn to Romans chapter 3. That's where we're going to be at this morning. Okay. Move that up a little bit. Uh, Romans chapter 3. Now, in the last time we got together, and the last time we were in Romans chapter 3, we were looking at these questions that the, the, the newly... Uh, newly saved Jewish people were asking concerning their relationship to God and their relationship really to doctrine. And uh, they ask these questions that seek to legitimize the hypocrisy that they're living in. And without doing too much review, I just want to give you the situation one more time. Jewish people and Gentile people. Gentiles were people that beforehand had never known uh, a relationship with God. And their faith systems were pagan. Uh, they they uh, lived in a way that was wicked before God. And the Jewish people had a long heritage of knowing God. Okay, They had a long history of having his truth. And suddenly in Rome, in this giant metropo- uh, metropolis of a city, you have these two different cultures and two different backgrounds coming to common ground in Jesus Christ and yet not knowing how to respond to each other. And so the Jews, the last chapter, and even the beginning of this, is addressing the hypocrisy of the Jewish people who believed that uh, they were better off than the Gentiles, and that that they should be seen in a better light, and that they should have more authority. (coughs) And the beginning of chapter 3, they ask this, this series of questions of Paul, the writer of Romans. And they ask him uh, these questions that seek to justify sinful perspectives, okay? And we're not going to go back and review review that too much because we have a lot to do today. But they wanted to justify their elitist thinking. They were hoping to justify their own insecurities in terms of the promises of God. Is this jogging anybody's memory? They they uh, they had insecurities concerning the promises that God had given to them in, in the millennia past. And... They, they were looking at seeing uh, how those promises no longer applied to them. And in turn, they were also seeking to justify just sin. And that was it. That's what they wanted. They wanted, they wanted a situation where Paul would say to, them, to say to them, it's okay to think sinfully. It's okay to have those wicked thoughts. It's okay to live in a hypocritical manner and to make your own way. And he didn't give them that benefit. Okay, and if this doesn't make uh, much sense to you, I hope that it that will as we move forward. Um, in Kaya right now, I hope, my hope is for this group of people that we more than ever see our need to preach the gospel. Okay? That, that our responsibility is to show people Uh, that Jesus Christ offers us an eternity with him through through the act of the cross and the resurrection. 
And that that be on the tip of our tongues. And, and that we would be more than ever mission focused. That, that our lives would be devoted to the Great Commission. And so we're studying Romans and we're here in this chapter and we're about to address really something that's very difficult. And that's the issue of sin. It's the issue of sin. And no one likes to talk about sin. And, and the Christian church really as a whole in the Western world has tried to abandon the idea that sin separates us from God. And that there's things that we can do to make ourselves right. And that if we just act good enough and if we just take on some characteristics of Jesus, that somehow, somehow we will become saved. And that it'll happen through osmosis and through time and through processes Right? It'll just like kind of happen by accident over time as, as we expose ourselves to the teaching of Jesus. And that's really just not the case. And here's the deal. If we don't begin to think in terms of sin separating us from the Holy God, then we will not, we will not properly present the gospel to people. So I'm speaking to believers right now, Christians. Unless we get this issue of sin at the forefront of our gospel message, then we will, we will have a very hard time leading people to Jesus Christ. So here's the deal. When, the, when the, these questions that the Jews presented to Paul come to him, he has no problem addressing them doctrinally. So they have all these questions. Remember, we talked about the idea of ulterior motives. They have these motives, and he addresses those things. He's not afraid of their questions. He's not afraid of their hypocrisy. And he's not afraid of their false perspectives as they come to him. He's not afraid of them. And he addresses them one by one. But notice what Paul does here. Is he, he kind of flips the script. He, he says all those things and he addresses all those things. And then he gets right into the meat of the matter. And so we're going to look at these first two key points. Are you guys ready for me? Okay. So, so here we are. Verse 9 says, What then? What then? That's the, that's the first thing that comes up. What then? So, he addresses their issues, and he immediately, this is, the, this is the pivot point. This is the transition. Okay, what then? No, you can't sin. You don't have the right to sin that grace may abound. Your life needs to be conformed to Jesus Christ. No, yes, the, the promises do apply to you. You have the very words of God. Yes, you have, to, you have to conform to the words of God. You have to live to those things. And he addresses those issues and, he's, and he says, but look, we've got a problem. We've got a problem. And let's look at our key points real quick. The first one is, uh, this, one, this one is for the lost. This is for people who don't call themselves Christians. This is for people who have yet to decide that they're going to follow Jesus Christ with their life. And I want you to pay very close attention to this today because I'm going to, I think that we're going to hear some hard truths. And I think that there's going to have to be some serious analysis this morning. How can anyone ever see their, see their need for Jesus Christ if they can't first see that their sins make them needy? Okay, so, without getting too far ahead of myself, this is the point I want to make right here. How can you repent? Repent meaning turn. How can you turn to follow Jesus if you don't see the reason to repent? If you don't see that there's a need in your life, if you don't see that there's a lack, 
If you don't see that you're utterly depraved without Jesus Christ, if you don't see that your life doesn't match up, if you don't see when you look at your life and you look at the narrative of your life, if you don't see in yourself that there's something seriously the matter with the way that you've lived, then what is there to turn to? Why did Jesus Christ come? What good, what good was his death, burial, and resurrection? If we could just simply on our own figure out what it is that we need on our own and live for that. No, you see, there's a problem. There's a disease. Romans 5.12 tells us that there's a disease that was passed on from Adam. That from the very beginning we were made sinners. And any time a child is born, that they are born right into that sin nature. And if we don't recognize first that there is a need, then, then what good is it to turn to a Savior? And so for those of you this morning who know that you like the idea of Jesus, you like the idea of Christianity, you like the idea of following after something. Before you can get to a place where you can follow Jesus Christ, you first have to lay things down. And as it concerns Jesus Christ, that means laying down the sins of your past and the pursuits that you have in this world. That means giving up some things. You have a need. Now the second key point, this one's for the Christian. Because, okay, so here's the flip side of that. Say you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you have repented of your sin. You know, we often forget just how utterly wicked we were. We forget that. We forget in our Christian living that there was a time in which we weren't accepted of God. You know, there's a lot of safety in feeling accepted. Like, um... When I'm at home with my kids, they act in a particular way because they feel safe around me, right? Like they, 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 they wrestle with me and we goof around, and they have a lot of liberty in my home because they feel safe with me. Now, the danger with that is that sometimes when we go out into the world, they take that liberty with them. And they forget, they forget that the world is a wicked place. They, for, they forget that there's dangers in the world because they feel so safe in my presence. And here's the thing, Christian. Sometimes we forget just how wicked our sin was because we feel so safe in Christ. We feel so safe here in this congregation and amongst one another, and we know that we're accepted with one another. And so sometimes in our pursuit of Jesus, we forget the exceeding wickedness of sin, and we fail to recognize the value of his mercy. And because we've forgotten the value of mercy... We've forgotten how great a salvation we have in Christ. And you know what? Really, this is what I want to get at, is that sometimes we forget that sin is the real issue in our friends and our family members who don't know Jesus. We forget, like we think about all the wonderful things that a relationship with Jesus Christ brings us, but we forget that the beginning of that relationship with Christ was a repentance from sin. And so on the tip of our mouths is all these conversations with people about Jesus And they never get to a place where they're about the issue of sin. And that the gospel message of our lives and the gospel message of our words must be about this one thing. Hey, I love you. You're a sinner. You need a savior. That has to be the crux of the message. We can address the atheist delusion all day. We can address doctrinal issues all day. 
We could talk about the difficulties of different things and passages in Scripture. We could talk, we could debate, and we could have these conversations. But listen, at the end of the day, we need to turn our attention to one issue. That we are eternally separated from God because of our sin. And unless we choose to put down our sin and make Christ Lord, there is no hope for salvation. Are you guys with me? And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to meet in this common place. We're going to meet on the commonality of sin. Let's continue to look at the verse. What then? Are we better than thee? That's the question of the Jew, right? Like, are we better than the Gentiles? And in that question, there's a racial, social, religious issue being addressed. They want to know whether or not they're better off because they're Jews. And look at what he says. No. No. In no wise, for we have, we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. See, here's the deal, guys. You know what humanity has in common? Not very much, actually. I mean, I look in this, around this room and I see that there's different things that divide us. There's, there's ethnicity that divides us. I mean, I'm... Super white. Like, I'm the whitest white you could be. But I have the soul of a black man. <laughs> but there's all these things that, like, divide one another, like how we vote and, and the cultures that we were brought up in. And all of us have these stories and these things that divide us. But you know what the one thing that's common about all of us? is that we're all just awful people. That all of us have lied. That all of us have disobeyed our parents. That all of us have betrayed someone's trust. That all of us have hurt others and have been hurt by people. And that there's something seriously the matter with us. And this is the common place where both Jews and Gentiles can meet. We are all under sin. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to... We're going to break down this passage and we're going to look at just how nasty sin really is and where sin leads us to and where it takes us to. So let's, before we look at verse 10, let's, let's say it like this. There's a conversation that I've been having with a student at school recently who's, who's seriously questioning whether or not that he believes. And, and we're having these conversations and he's been staying after school to talk with me. And... Um, He's got really good questions. Okay? And what we've done is we've taken those questions and we've gotten to a place where we're talking about sin. So this message is very fitting. And we're talking about sin. And what he said to me was, look, I'm primarily a good person, though. Like, the majority of my life is lived doing good things. And so I don't really understand why Christ would require of me or God would require of me anything more than what I'm giving him right now. Like, I, like he confessed, yeah, I mess up. But the majority of my life is devoted to doing good things. Have we all heard that before? So this is where this beautiful analogy uh, comes in. Who would be willing to drink of a well that has just a drop of cyanide in it? 
Would any, would, would any of us be willing to take and drink of a cup that has just a little bit of rat poison? I mean, it's not much rat poison. I mean, the cup is still primarily just water, which is refreshing and is good for me. Right? I mean, I, I wouldn't be dumb enough to do that. And so what makes us think that, that, that God will accept anything than absolute purity in his sight? What makes us think that a just and holy God would allow even just the smallest amount of sin in his presence? See, the real issue is this. That any amount of sin, whether naive or weak or wicked or whatever it might be, however you want to frame that or, or, or put that thing together, is still sin in the sight of God. You know, the problem is that we compare ourselves among ourselves. You know that? And so what we do when we do that is we focus on the tonality of sin. Not the actuality of sin. We find ourselves focusing on the tonality of sin. Not the actuality of sin. So we look at sin in terms of a spectrum. Not in terms of the fact that sin itself separates us from the Holy God. Our our attention is wrong. Our emphasis is wrong. We focus on the types of sin, not the fact that it's sin itself. You know, another good example for this is the idea that, like, if you were in a leaky boat in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, you are just as unlikely to make it to the shore as someone that has a gusher. Whether the hole is a pin-sized hole or the hole is this big, if you're out in the middle of the ocean, you are just, both of you are equally as unlikely to make it back to the shore. Sin, no matter how big or or small, separates us from God. And we need an answer for that. Galatians 3.22 says, But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. We're all under the curse of sin. So let's look at verse 10. He says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. And this is a quote from the psalm. Psalms 14.1 and Psalm 55.1. Now what is it that he's saying there? Let's start with the word righteousness. Okay, the word righteous. What, is, what does it mean to be righteous? Are you following with me, Miles? You're the man. I trust you over there. What does it mean to be righteous? There is none righteous. No, not one. Not a single person. Not a one person on the earth. There's, there, there's nothing here that makes any sort of exemption for any person. There is no righteousness. No, not one. None of us. None of us are righteous. What does the word righteous mean? It means rightness, doesn't it? It means clean. It means in good standing before God. And what Paul is saying is, is that in and of ourselves, there's not a one of us that are right. There's not a one of us that are in good standing. Now here's the important part. Look at verse 11. There is none that understandeth. This is the part that's kind of scary. The issue isn't, like, like we all probably recognize that we sin, right? But the danger comes in the fact that we don't understand our sin. We don't understand that, it's, it's, that by its very nature that it's destructive. We don't understand that we need something greater than ourselves. 
And because of that, we don't seek after God. Like, we, we can talk about sin. We know that we, we sin. But the issue is if we don't understand that sin destroys us, then we don't need to know that we need to seek after a Savior. Does this make sense to you? So the issue is understanding. Revelation 3.17 says, Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. John 9.39 says, And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see. And they, that, they which see uh, might be made blind. And, and so the Bible makes this parallel of blindness and lack of understanding. See, the problem is if we don't understand that we need a Savior, and we don't understand the nature of our need, then we're blind in this world, groping about in the darkness, seeking after something that we're not going to find. We don't, because we don't understand sin, we don't seek after God. And you know this to be true. You know this to be true from your own life. You know this true to be, uh, to be true of the lives of other people. We're just kind of in pursuit of something better than what we have. Is, isn't that what we do? We just seek after something that's better than what we have, and we hope that it's all going to work out in the end. And in doing so, we refuse to actually seek after the one that can deliver us from our problem. We don't understand the need. What does it mean to seek? You know, because we are blind to sin, we refuse to do it. But, you know, I think more than ever, we live in a time where people, people are seeking, aren't they? There's this book uh, that's required reading at Lee Summit West High School called Into the Wild. And every English class reads this book. And it's really, <clears throat> Seth laughs because I've made fun of this book on occasion on many occasions. Because the book itself seeks to glorify the nature of wandering. Like it seeks to glorify uh, the idea of pursuit. Like, okay, there's a grander truth in the world. And I'm going to go out and I'm going to find it. And we wander about. And it's like this, it's this like weird fascination, especially as Westerners, uh, we like this idea of, of like getting on our horse and riding out into the wild west, into the plains, and there's, and there's nothing but the horizon ahead of us. And we don't really know where this path is going to take us, but we're on the path and we're going. And see, the issue is we value the idea of seeking, but we have no idea what we're seeking after. How did Chris McCandless end up? He was in pursuit of something. He was in pursuit of something. He had no idea what it was. And he was even willing to abandon everything for whatever that thing was. He abandoned his family. He abandoned his resources. And he took on a new identity with the hope of going into the wild and finding the true answer. And he ended up dead in the middle of nowhere. And the truth is, this book has given me a million opportunities to talk about Christ. And, and my question for you is, what are you seeking after? Are you seeking and wandering for the sake of seeking and wandering? 
going out into the desert, doing some peyote, listening to nature. I mean, we do that. It's no, that's no different than saying to yourself, you know what? When I grow up, I want to be a doctor. And I'm going to pursue that with everything I got. I'm going to go to the best school. And I'm going to get a wife. And I have children. And I'm going to find what I'm looking for. And without God, that's just as ridiculous as going out into the middle of the desert and tripping on peyote. It's just as stupid. It's just as worthless. We have a need. And we don't have understanding of it. And so we don't seek after God. And so we're left to our own devices and we're lost in our sin. We're lost. You understand? 2 Timothy 3.1 speaks about our generation this way. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Now listen, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. How many of you have a form of godliness this morning? How many of you can see a form of God and, and, and maybe you project your desires on this, this God that you've invented? Like God is out there, I know. I know that there is a God because, you know, there's evidence of a God. But who he is, I don't know. I don't know which God he is. And, 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 and so I'm just going to make him what I want him to be so that I can live how I want to live, right? And the issue is we have a knowledge of God, but we deny his power. And because we deny his power, we, we don't fear him. We don't recognize him as the authority over our lives. We can look at the Bible and say, yeah, it's good, it's good, but we don't actually peer into it because if we do so, we're afraid we might actually fear the living God. If he's just an idea, then we can't grab hold of him. And listen to what it says after this. From such turn away, for all this sort are they which creep into houses and leave captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lusts, listen, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. God, forgive us for being this generation. Listen to me. That is your generation. If any other generation, your generation, the millennial generation, are seekers who don't know what they're seeking after. More people going into to, uh, humanitarian and service-oriented professions. People that want to help. People want, that want to do good in the world. Working off the sins of their mothers and fathers and the generations that came before them. And the issue is that they don't see that they're seeking after the wrong things. Look at verse 12. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. There's not a one of us that are lost in, 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 in pursuing after false things that can even do good. They're unprofitable. You know, this idea of profit is really important to me. <clears throat> who, wants to, who wants to go to their deathbed thinking, well, I didn't really achieve much. There wasn't much value to my life. No one wants that. I mean, does everyone, who wants to have profit in their living? Like, who wants to know that their life meant something? Come on. You're lying if you don't raise your hand. Everyone wants to know that their life means something. Right? The idea of profit. We want to be profitable in this world. We want to be able to say when we lay our head down for the last time that we did something right. 
And yet, if you don't know Jesus Christ, everything that you do, every action that you do, good, bad, is vain. Here's the next key point. Without acknowledging sin, okay, let's start there, right? Without acknowledging our sin and knowing that there's a need, then there can be no pardon for our sin. If if you want to be pardoned of your sin, you have to first acknowledge that there is sin in your life and that, that you are depraved. But without a pardon, there is no part. You don't get to participate in something that you haven't been pardoned to do. Does that make sense? If you haven't been separated for the work, then you can't do the work. There is no work for you. Without a pardon, there is no part. Without a part, there is no purpose. If you don't have a part in the work, then you have no purpose for your life. And without purpose, purpose there can be no profit. Do you understand? Do you see the, the, the logic here that Paul is putting before us? You cannot be profitable if you don't recognize your need for a Savior. If you don't recognize your need for Jesus Christ, then you cannot have part in this beautiful thing called Christianity. And you cannot be set apart to that work. And if you don't work, you don't eat. And there's no profit, there's no paycheck that comes home. Do you understand? So listen to me. No matter what your endeavor is in life and whatever it is that you're pursuing, whatever education that you're going after, whatever job that you desire to have, whatever lifestyle that you want to lead, listen to me. I'm saying this with all seriousness and it's difficult for me to say because it's really sad that some of you uh, are living this way. That outside of Jesus Christ, there is no profit in this world. And you have no choice but to end your days in this world and say to yourself, I achieve nothing. It's all as dust. It's all vanity. It's vanity of vanities. Is that a hard word? I'm sorry. It's just, it's what we're being presented with this morning. You know, if your life's mission is to plant a garden in the middle of a concrete driveway, that's a vain, that's a vain pursuit, isn't it? You're not going to have fruit there. You're not going to have profit. No one, go, no one plants a garden in the middle of their driveway. They plant them in the backyard where there's soil, right? But yet living life without Christ is like trying to have fruit and produce something like a garden in the middle of a concrete driveway. It's vain. It's, it's a false activity. There's no purpose. And you might be convinced that there is, but the Word of God says that's not true. Verse 13. <clears throat> Their throat... Now, this is where the pictures get really heavy. Their throat is an open sepulcher. And a sepulcher is like a tomb, right? Have you heard that word before? Sepulcher. It's kind of a fancy word for tomb. Their, their, their throat is an open tomb. And with their tongues, they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. James 3.8 says, But the tongue can no man tame. It is un, un, an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to, uh, so to be. Did the fo- uh, fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? And James is telling us right here that the mouth is a wicked thing. Has anybody ever found themselves saying things that they shouldn't be saying? And you regret it? 
And the same mouth that you can rejoice in God, that same mouth, bitterness and vile things come out. But here's the deal, guys. This is what Paul's getting at in verse 13 through 14. Is no ma- if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it doesn't matter what you say. Your mouth, anything that comes out of your mouth is death. Now, well, how can that be? I say nice things all the time. I'm kind to people. I use my words for good. Right? No, but the point is, is this. Any words that don't lead others to Christ are vain. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ and you don't see the need and you haven't been pardoned and you're not a part of the work and you aren't of profit, you don't have profitability in your life, that's not a part of who you are, then everything that you say, whether good or bad, just leads other people down the same path that you're going. That's a hard word, I'm sorry. That's the word of God. For the lost, uh, lost person, their words can only be vain. And of course, vanity is simply anything that is a distraction from truth. And for a person who is lost in their sin, even the fairest and kindest words paint destruction for those around them. Now, I did a study on each of these parts, the throat, the tongue, the lips, and the mouth. And I don't have time to do them. I'm going to post them on Facebook. Is that all right? I'll post them by by the end of the night. But I did a study on these words, and it's really interesting, the picture that Paul paints here. It's beautiful uh, in its sadness. It's so vivid. The tongue and and the the throat and the lips and the mouth and each part that we use of of our mouth to form and to create words without Christ, only vile can come out. We don't even know it. The hospital doesn't know it. And so they seek to do good They go out into the streets and they protest for good. They fight good fights. Their pursuits in their mind are only righteous. But absent Christ, it's all vain. And they can only lead people to destruction. And that leads us to verse 15. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Here a parallel is drawn between the direction of one's feet and the direction of a person's eyes and their perception of God. 15 through 18 reveal that the pursuits of a lost person are misguided because they have no fear of the living God. And they have, because they don't fear God, they don't fear the consequence of the lifestyle they lead. So they can just turn their feet and their eyes wherever they feel like it. They can go and do and be whatever they want to be because they don't recognize that wherever they step and wherever they turn their eyes, that behind them, just behind them, is bloodshed. And so what we do is we do what's right in our own mind. We don't recognize that just behind us, we're meeting our family, our children, our friends, they're just following right behind us. And so your wickedness and your lack of your need for God, it translates to other people. And everywhere you go is destruction. Christian, this is who you were. And some of us are still in this place. See, the alternative path is, is less favorable on the surface, but it's much more satisfactory in its consequence 
Matthew 7, 13 says, you're the man, look at you. You're on top of it, A game over there. Matthew 7, 13 says, enter ye in at the straight gate. The straight gate. For, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And that's the path that many of us are on. You know, it's broad, it's wide, it's easy to, to, to traverse, it's easy to travel along, it's, it's, it's simple for us to walk side by side with our friends on the wrong path. It's easy for us to pursue and do what we want. We, we can even just turn our feet about and wander about in place and we can do what we want on a broad path. It's comfortable, it's simple. And we think that we find peace there. But Christ has a different path. Because he says that path leads to destruction. And many there be which go in, in, in uh, thereat. Many, many travel that path. Because straight is the, is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. Few. Why? Because it's narrow. It's difficult. It's hard. And if we're going to travel on a narrow path, it means that, that we can't take whatever we want with us. We have to travel lightly. We have to abandon something at that gate. We've got to put something down. We might have to leave friends there. We might have to, to leave desires and, and pursuits. We might have to leave them at that gate so that we can walk that narrow path. It's a difficult one. It's not easy saying I'm a sinner. It's not easy saying I'm going to hell. It's not easy coming to that conclusion. But to be forgiven of our sins and to be set apart, it's absolutely necessary. So that leads us to the guilt. Verse 19. Now we know that what these, uh, what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. And what that really means is that according to God's expectations for our lives, we don't match up. That when God takes us and compares us to what he wants for us, he finds that even the smallest of sins keep us from his presence. We are guilty. We stand before God guilty. And there's no set of laws that are going to get back what we've lost. And there's no good works that are going to get back favor that we've lost with God. And this is why Jesus Christ was sent to this world. Was to make a way where there wasn't one before. To give us an opportunity to come before God guilty and stained and wicked and lay everything at the gate. So we might pursue And so the smallest amount of poison is enough to taint the largest well. And yet many of us would rather stay right there and risk eternity by drinking from that well and hoping that we can purify it, hoping that we can make the well right and we remain there thirsty and waiting. But there is a well 
that leads to everlasting life. There is a wellspring that if we drink of it, we can be made right. And our sins can be forgiven. And when God looks down from heaven, he sees us through the lens of the resurrected Jesus Christ. And whatever was dirty before is now seen in purity, forgiven. And we don't have to remain in our sin. We don't have to remain unprofitable. We don't have to remain blind. We have to make a decision in order to get there. And many of us in this room, I know, need to make that decision. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, Jesus, the, the iniquity of us all. This is a prophetic passage about Jesus Christ. And though we've turned every which way, and, and, and though we are lost in our sin, Christ bore our iniquities. Let's, uh, let's look at verse 21 through 24 in closing, because this is crucial. This is where everything changes. Okay? Verse 21 says, but now, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all, and upon, upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. There's no difference between any of us. We have all fallen short. Verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us. So let's do something. Let's get justified. Look at verse 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You can be redeemed. There's no amount of sin, great or small, that can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ if you choose to lay that down before him. If you choose to put those things before him. Repentance is nothing more than turning. And not turning for turning's sake, but turning unto Christ and turning away from your wickedness. Making him master, making him Lord. Confess him Lord Jesus. And so you can be made right. You can be justified in his sight. You can have eternity with Jesus Christ if you simply acknowledge that you are a sinner separated from God. And if you lay those things down before him and put them at his feet and call him Christ, you can be saved. Um, at least some of us, we lost, we lost a, a student uh, in a car accident yesterday. And this is a kid I've had in class a couple times. And uh, good kid, silly kid. And you know, uh, this has happened a couple times at our high school in the last year. And we have, uh, we've had to consider death as a high school. We've had to think about death a lot. And, uh, and so, what is death? You know, what is death? The Bible says death is separation from God. Eternal death is separation from God. And what that means is hell. And so what I'm asking for us today is for us to consider death. And where our lives are leading us, 
And if there's any sin that separates us from our loving, loving Christ, then we need to lay that down today. And so, listen, the wages of sin might be death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And Christian, that's what we should want for every person that we know. And every person that we come in contact, that's what we need to want for them so desperately. Let's not forget the vileness of sin and the guilt that's laid upon every person. Let's not forget those things because if we do, then we'll stop talking about the greatness of Jesus. There are decisions to be made this morning. and So I'm going to invite the worship team up to lead us. And here's my invitation to you. Listen carefully. If you don't know that if you were to die today, that you would, you would spend eternity with Jesus Christ, then you need to come forward. And I'll talk to you, one of our other leaders, some, someone that's here that, that knows God's word, will talk to you and work through that with you. Do not, listen to me guys, do not leave here not knowing because as I, I hope we all learned from a, from a death in a car wreck, that we don't know if we have tomorrow. We don't know what this afternoon holds for us. And so why would we withhold what Christ demands of us now? Why would we hold back? If you don't know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then you need to come up here and talk to me. Now, Christian, if you know Jesus, you know that you know Jesus, and you know that you're saved and you're set apart, my question for you is this. Why is it that we have forgotten how wicked sin is? Why have we forgotten that? Because if we recognize it for what it truly was, our mouth would be open, nonstop talking about Jesus Christ. Now, if you recognize this morning that there's something the matter with your fervency, and there's something the matter with your message, and maybe you do a lot of debating about Jesus Christ, but you never get to the crux of the matter, sin. And there's something that you need to repent of too, and that's your gospel message is off. It's off. There's something the matter with it. And we have to get that fixed. And we've got to make a decision today. Christian, you've got a decision to make too. What is the content of your gospel message? It's not good enough to just walk around with truth. That truth has to be pointed and purposeful. Jesus Christ saves sinners. That's the message. And so I'm asking today that during the invitation that you would take care of whatever it is you need to take care of. I'm going to pray now. Don't hesitate. Get up. If you see someone get up you need to talk to, you go with them and you counsel with them. Let's pray right now. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you're so good. And I'm so thankful that you made a way where it didn't seem like there was one. And I can think back on the time of my life where I travel a broad path I lived the way that I wanted to live and there was no satisfaction found there. I was empty. I didn't know where I was going. And it grew wearisome. And God, you offered me a different path. You offered me a, a difficult path through Jesus Christ. And I thank you for his death, burial, and resurrection. I thank you for what he offers us in our repentance. And so this morning I pray that whatever needs to be repented of, whatever salvation 
that someone is dealing with, that they would have the, the, the guts to stand up and deal with it. And for any person who recognizes that there, there's something the matter with their Christian walk, and they don't live on that straight and narrow path, they, they desire to put on the carnal man and continue to live in a broad path, even though they're called to something greater, God, I pray that you would help them to deal with that today. And I pray this in the power and the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We have decisions to make. Let's make them.
good God, uh, we come to you just acknowledging, uh, Lord, that you're coming back. Um, God, and there are people on this earth that don't know that. God, they don't know you and apart from the knowledge of you. God, apart from uh, recognizing you as Lord of all, God, uh, they're going to live an eternity separated from you. Uh, God, so um, give us broken hearts, God, over uh, not just our sin. God, we need that as well. But Lord, we need to be broken for those people that do not know you. God, so please... Uh, grant that to us. God, uh, as people are making decisions right now, um, Lord, comfort them. Lord, uh, we, we want the world to know your name. Um, Lord, so help us to do that. God, help us to praise you. Um, Lord, we love you. And it's in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Uh, you guys are free to leave. Help stack up chairs. Uh, if you have a decision to make, you're not free to leave. But yeah, and hey, uh, we need to help sweeping. Oh yeah, there's a meeting for the mission strips. Cambodia, Vietnam, and Malawi. If you want to, you like to go to that. Power button.